Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Eight and a half years I've been here, I don't know that I've ever seen uh, Joanne sing from Not Behind the Piano. That was outstanding. That was great. I really love hearing Brittany and Joanne sing. Would you give them a hand? They did a great job this morning. Again, if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 this morning, Jesus uh, did a lot of speaking and always had a, uh, a very unique way of describing simple but really deep things. He talked a good bit about God and about how God relates to humanity. Jesus told stories or parables to illustrate God's love and affection for people. Many of those stories or parables uh, included things of normal everyday life that everybody sort of gravitated around and and had a a similar uh, experience. Jesus talked a lot about farming and agriculture, you might remember the, the parable of the sower captured in Matthew chapter 13, the, the sower casting seed. And he then discussed the, the four different types of soils that receive the seed of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus talked about the winnowing fork that was in God's hand. And it was, a, it was symbolic of God's judgment that was going to come, a winnowing fork, that being of a, a farming tool or instrument that everyone would have had some experience with. Just last week in Luke chapter 10, Jesus again references farming and agriculture. And he says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, a plow being a common everyday occurrence on a farm. Something that everyone could understand and gravitate towards. Even the Apostle Paul talked a great deal about farming and agriculture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verses 6 through 18, Paul says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide each in your heart how much you will give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And he concludes, and God will generously provide all you need. Some people have shortened this verse to say, you reap what you sow. Even Jesus says these words. 
And Jesus used farming metaphors continually throughout his ministry to describe God's kingdom and more specifically spreading the good news of the gospel. And here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus even relates God's kingdom uh, to potentially a huge field ready to be harvested by harvest workers. The crop, or excuse me, the field that he's talking about is the world. It's the world that we live in today. We all have a field that we operate in. Even I do, and so do you. And your field looks different. Everyone's field is rather different from the person sitting next to you or across from you. The crop are those who have the option of, of receiving God's word. And we know that, that anybody can have the option of knowing God, but not all will receive the Lord. And of course, the harvesters, those people that go out in the field and, and harvest what has grown and germinated, those people are me and you. We are the harvesters. It's the believers. It's the followers of God. It's the disciples of Jesus Christ that are the harvest workers. It's up to you and I to make sure that the crop is receiving what it needs to germinate. Of course, we want to water. We want to make sure that the sun is growing on it. However, it's God that makes the growth happen. We want to make sure that we're living the examples that we need to live, to set in our words and our actions and our deeds, that people would want to follow God and become his disciples because of us. But after all, it's the Lord who makes the growth take place. It's a great partnership, if you will, between the followers of Christ and, of course, the Lord himself. If you want to, fill in this first blank, evangelism. Evangelism is like farming for the faithful, Evangelism is like farming for the faithful. You are a farmer. You are planting seeds, and you are hoping that God will do the growing. Remember that we are sowing seeds of the gospel. It's not us to germinate those seeds, much in the same way uh, that we're not in charge of the rain, and we're not in charge of the weather. We depend on the Lord to send precipitation, and we trust him that he will make the sun shine. This morning, Jesus is going to be talking about the responsibilities to harvest a huge crop, not for ourselves, not for our own glory, not that we're building our own kingdom, but for himself, for his glory, and for his kingdom. Potentially millions of people need to hear the word of God and who will not go if it's not us. We are like the prophet Isaiah being sent out into the world. Lord, here am I, send me. So this morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. And you can open up your Bibles and join me there. This morning I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And the Lord says these words, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Would you mind do me a favor? Underline that part right there, where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest fields. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter into a town... 
and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter into a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. I think we are familiar with the plight of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed in the book of Genesis because they refused the Lord's invitation. Well, friends, when entering the harvest fields, we have to remember a couple things. One, we have to remember first Jesus' preparation. Jesus' preparation. Jesus, uh, when he sent out these men and potentially women into the harvest field had prepared them in amazing ways. When's the last time you went to a seven-year-old birthday party? Anybody? We were at a seven-year-old birthday party yesterday, and we were celebrating the birthday of my son, Jet. His birthday is August 8th, and so I said April 8th, yes, thank you, honey. <laughs> April the 8th. We were at Build-A-Bear. Oh, let me tell you the fun we had. We had seven or eight of Jet's closest friends that were there with him. My wife had done a phenomenal job of preparing, making sure that that day was going to be spectacular for Jet. And she had made all the phone calls. And when we walked into that store, they were ready to go. They knew that seven or eight crazy six and seven-year-olds were about to enter that place. And they knew they needed to have a plan. And so what did they do? They started with a scavenger hunt. And they introduced all the kids to all the bears, all the bunnies, all the rabbits. They made sure that they saw all of the accessories that you can get for a bear. Did you know? You can spend a lot of money accessorizing your bear. They had uh, Easter clothes. They had winter clothes. They had superhero clothes. They had Captain Marvel clothes. Uh, anything that you could imagine. They had hearts, regular hearts that you could just stuff in your bear or hearts that beat. There were also different things that would make your bear, bear smell funny, okay? They were ready. They were ready. They were prepared. Why? Because when you're prepared, you're going to have less chance of an accident. You're going to have less chance of a foul ball or striking out. And so Jesus here had prepared his disciples. He had walked with them for some three years, walking, talking, teaching, preaching, healing. He had shown them how to do it. Jesus practically modeled what it meant to be in ministry. He had shown them how to touch people. He had shown them how to speak to people, how to communicate with people. And now it was time for Jesus not to model ministry, but turn ministry over. He had assisted them, and now he's saying, now it's your turn. And friend, that's where we are today. Many of us, we've had unbelievable examples, but now it's time for us to do the ministry. So how has Jesus prepared you? How has he prepared me? Well, he has provided education. He has provided education, namely in two different ways. The, the chief way of education that Jesus provides for me and you today is the Bible. The Bible. 
The Bible is the best way to learn Jesus' attitude, to understand his character, and to understand what his mission was and is on planet Earth. It is our textbook. It is our manual for living life. And we should be reading it not just every now and again, not just on a Wednesday or a Sunday, but we should be ingesting God's Word on a daily basis. We are educated through his Word. Now, we're also educated in another way. We're educated not only by God's word, but we're also educated by godly examples. We have godly examples that have made their way into our life, men and women that we can watch and see do specific types of ministry. Many of us are working in ministries here in our church, and the only reason why we work in those ministries is because someone has ignited a passion in our life that was once their passion. Some of us do all types of things. Some of us like to make wheelchair ramps. Some of us like to work in the library. Some of us like uh, to to sing and work in our, our music ministry or even with our kids. And chances are those passions that we have did not come to us on their own, but someone modeled those ministries for us to receive. So we read God's word, we received education there, but then someone else came along and taught us how to be a believer and what a believer looks like. I hope that you're thankful for your education today. Understand this, there's a small blank there, that people are more willing to hear the gospel, people are more willing to hear the gospel than there are Christians willing to tell them. People are more willing to hear it. See, we need to understand that it's not the fact that we don't know that we're supposed to share the gospel or the kingdom of God is near or that we're supposed to go and tell people about the Lord. We know these things, right? We see these things. Uh, The idea here is, though, that we need to take our education and we need to turn it into practical application. And we have the education to do it. But he's also provided us with association. We have education But he's also prepared us with association. God has given us everything we need to accomplish his mission. He's given us education, association. Friends, you are not alone. I am not alone. We don't have to accomplish this huge mission, this glorious task on an individual level. Jesus had 72 followers and he paired those 72 followers up two by two. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Go all the way back to Genesis, if you will. You remember the story of Adam and Eve? The Bible tells us in Genesis that Adam, for Adam, there was no suitable helper for him. Adam had just named all the animals. He had just sat down and, and said, that's an elephant, that's an ox, right? That's a bird, okay? He had named everything, and yet after he had seen everything that God had made, God said there was no suitable helper for Adam, and guess what? He put him to sleep and had the first surgery, (laughs) and he created out of Adam's side a bride named Eve, and they were a partner, and we model that partnership even today with our marriages. God doesn't want us to be alone, With partnership, we have friendship. With friendship, we have association. We never have to fear being left out, given up on, turned over, or betrayed. God puts 
unique individuals into our lives to make us better, to give us comfort when times are good, but certainly when times are bad. They celebrate with us when we have victories and they hold our hands when we have failures. Everyone needs a friend. And I love the fact that this passage, because Jesus takes away a lot, doesn't he? Don't you remember all the things that they can't travel with? No, no money bags, no knapsacks. He even restricts their footwear. No shoes, guys. You can't go anywhere without shoes. This journey that you're about to take is about to be very uncomfortable. Of all the things that Jesus removes from his disciples, from his followers, the one thing that he lets them have is a friend. Is a friend. Oh, friends, I, he knew that we needed each other. So this morning, ask yourself the question, who is your partner? Who is your friend? What is your associate? Who is that friend that you share God's dream with and accomplish his goals? Look around the room. There's someone in this room this morning that needs you. There's someone in this room this morning that needs you. And trust me, you need them. You need them. He's provided you with an education. He's taught us. He's modeled ministry for us in the Bible and through other people. He's given us association. He's given us friendships. Lastly, he's given us a direction. He's given us a direction. When I was 16 years old, I took my very first job. It was a, at a nursery. It was a landscaping business, really. And they, had, they sold all kinds of plants, but we also did a lot of landscaping out all over Montgomery. Did you know, this is a fact, did you know that Montgomery is the hottest place on planet Earth in the month of July? It is. It is horrible. It is horrible. But for three straight summers, I worked at a nursery called Green Thumb Nursery. And for three straight summers, all the way till I was 19 years old, I would wake up a little before 6 a.m. I would arrive to work at 6, and then I would work from 6 a.m. to 6 at night. And it was during these three summers that I realized I want to go to college. <laughs> I don't want to do this forever. But I would arrive at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I would hop on the back of a dump truck, and we would go around, and we'd pick up sod. If you haven't laid sod in a while, oh, my goodness, sod is the worst. But we would grab pallets and pallets of sod. We would grab buckets of all kinds of plants, and you never know what we were going to be doing that day. But we would load it all onto the back of a dump truck, and then we would head off. And then we would work from 6 a.m. to 6 at night with a 15-minute lunch break. And by the way, the lunch break was on the site, so often I would pack my lunch or we would maybe be lucky enough to be able to go somewhere and pick up some fast food and come right back to work again. They were the hardest working days of my entire life. Now, what's really interesting, there was a guy, he actually owned the business. There were three separate Green Thumb nursery stores in Montgomery at the time. By the way, you can Google them. They're still open even now on Troy Highway. But the guy that owned the store is a guy by the name of Charles Harwell. Charles Harwell is literally the hardest working man I've ever seen in my entire life. If I got there, if I got there at the nursery at 6 a.m., Charles was there at 5 a.m. And Charles was working hard. He was gassing up all of the, the machinery that we needed. He was gassing up the, the vehicles to make sure they were ready to go. He had already moved the plants in a, in a way that we could just grab and go. 
but then we would, we would, he would uh, get on the, the dump truck with us and he would drive us to where we were going, not to drop us off, but he would pick up a shovel and start working himself. Charles Harwell was as nasty and dirty and gross and disgusting as I was at the end of the day. And he owned the company. He was receiving the largest paycheck. And then after I left, right, from 6 to 6, after I left at 6 o'clock p.m., guess who was still there? Working hard. Man, Charles Harwell was still there. Every single day, six days a week, and guess what? He even went to church with me. I got so sick of seeing that man. <laughs> he was working hard. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him, two by two, into each in every town and place where what? He himself was about to go. Jesus was going there. My favorite part of this scripture line is where he himself was about to go. Jesus was not just sending out the followers, but guess what? He was going to go with them. He wasn't just going to ask them to go and he sit idly by. No, even though Jesus was the master, Jesus was not going to just give them a direction, but he was going to provide them a direction. He was going into action. He was going to inspire the troops. Jesus was not afraid of the work, not afraid of the witness, not afraid to get his hands dirty. No doubt when Jesus told his followers that he was going to, to go with them. Can you imagine that? When Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm going with you, I can imagine the 72 people kind of let out a sigh of relief. Oh, thank goodness, Jesus. Because this task that you're giving us is overwhelming, but, but if you're going to go with us, we can do it. Jesus, as long as you're there by my side, I know it's going to be okay. The master is not abandoning me. I can imagine it was a little bit like the amazing race. Jesus paired the group up two by two, prayed for them, and they left hurriedly and excitedly to accomplish the task that Jesus had given to them. Friends, I want to remind you this morning that you are never alone. Sure, you've got a partner, you've got a friend, you've got a brother or sister there that, to champion your cause and to encourage you. But even if you didn't have that person, you are still never alone. Jesus is with you everywhere that you go, encouraging you, loving you, supporting you, working through us. Remember that you are living out and speaking. You are a lifesaver to people that you meet and come in contact with. Romans chapter 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to be ashamed of the good news of the kingdom because the king is with us the whole time we're sharing. So in Roman numeral 1, we have Jesus' preparation, but lastly, we have Jesus' caution. Jesus does give out some caution. There are lots of warnings in life, right? Caution is just another fancy word for warning. What about this? A, a fishing lure. I saw this the other day in Walmart. We were looking at, at fishing lures, and this was interesting. A fishing lure with a warning side that says that it's harmful if swallowed. Don't, follow, don't swallow your fishing lure, guys. That's a bad one. Don't do that. 
Uh, there was a warning label found on a baby stroller that cautions the user to remove child before folding. There was a container of underarm deodorant, and this actually says this on my right guard uh, spray. It says, caution, do not spray in eyes. Why would you do that? Someone sprayed right guard in their eyes. I don't understand. If you go to where we make all of our copies for our office, we have toner and ink, right? There's a warning on that, that laser cartridge or that printer, and it says, don't eat toner. Someone ate toner, folks. Why would someone do that? How many of you have the cardboard sunshields that go uh, in, your, in your windshield? Y'all have those to keep your car from getting hot? So there's a cardboard sunshield that keeps the sun off the dashboard, and the warning label says, don't drive with sunshield in place. <laughs> Duh, right? Well, Jesus gives some pretty large cautions to his disciples. He puts restrictions on money. He puts restrictions on clothing. He puts restrictions on footwear, right? He, he even talked to them about what they were to put into their bodies and how they should treat people on their way, on the road. Why? On the surface, he was teaching them dependence. Clearly, he was wanting them to be dependent on God. Don't depend on anything other than for God to meet your needs. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that suffering binds people together? Suffering is a universal experience, more universal, by the way, than happiness or joy. We understand each other through our sufferings. When you hear of someone saying, well, I have cancer, we all automatically, we all know what that feels like because all of us have experienced cancer and how it robs people of their lives. It binds us together. Jesus told them not to take anything for their journey so they would have the shared experience of suffering together. Suffering and hardship can build camaraderie. It can build closeness and connection with one another. Those of you that have ever played athletics together, maybe you were a football player. Do you remember those hot summers of two-a-days? Do you remember they had the trash cans lined up along the field that would catch your breakfast? And do you remember as you stood there about to run all those yard lines together and, make, and they were going to uh, make you do all those drills, you had that friend that was right there with you and you suffered through that experience together, but at the end of it, guess what happened? That guy that was throwing up with you, what did he become? He became your best friend. There's something about suffering that brings us closer together. So where is your harvest field? If Jesus is sending you and me into the harvest field, where is it? Well, our harvest field is at work, at school, a neighborhood, a gym, the ball fields. Your field is your community. Everywhere that you go, a harvest field can be a doctor's office, a restaurant, even a hospital. Just the other day, my harvest field was at Shanghai Cottage. I was sitting there with my family, my mom and dad. We were having dinner together. And there was a, a wife and a husband, their two boys, and their boys were acting crazy. Now, I'm not judging because I've been there. I know what that's like. I had suffered. And I looked at the guy and I said, man, I know what you're going through. I'm with you. And he goes, man, it's tough. And I said, I know, I'm going to pray for you. And we got to talking. And he's the resource officer at one of the Spanish Ford Elementary Schools. But we got to talking 
And all of a sudden, this gentleman became my harvest field. Uh, by the way, we have great church members. I go to the hospitals all the time to visit church members there in the hospital. We have some church members that use the hospital as a harvest field. And they'll have Bibles lined up on their bedside table. And every time an orderly comes in, here, have a Bible. Every time a nurse comes in, here, have a Bible. Every time a doctor comes in, here, have a Bible. I tell you, the hospital is a tremendous harvest field. But your harvest field is anywhere where God has planted your feet. Three really quick points. Enter the harvest field prayerful. Enter your harvest field prayerful. Jesus sends out his disciples with very little physical support, right? Very, very little physical support. And he tells them as as they go into the harvest field that they should pray earnestly. The word being used here in the Greek is deomai, deomai, to earnestly pray. It means to, to desire, to want, to ask, to beg. And do you hear what's being inferred? Without prayer, daily prayer, moment by moment prayer, we will not have the power to accomplish what God's mission is for us here on earth. Prayer is the main ingredient to turning our hearts to, to God and to turning our ears to his voice so that we can understand what he's telling us to do. We should be prayerful. We should also be vulnerable. In verses three through eight, Jesus says, you're not gonna take anything with you that makes you comfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable on this mission of mine. Friends, as believers, we should be uncomfortable. Just the other day, Bill Browning came to meet with me. Bill Browning is our senior adult director here at our church. It's a part-time job. It doesn't pay a whole lot, to be honest with you. Bill was supplementing his income. He and Sylvia, they were working for a local car dealership here in town. They would drive cars back and forth to customers and to different uh, dealerships. And he and Sylvia had been praying for a while about what God was calling them to do. You see, they, they really wanted to devote their lives to the people of this church and to this community. Bill had a very keen understanding of what his harvest field looks like. And of course, they want to be serious about the gospel, and they felt that God was calling them to sacrifice one job so they could be more devoted to the other job. So he met with me to tell me that he was going to do, and Bill and Sylvia are deciding to give up half of their income so they can devote more of their time, energy, and prayer life here at church. He said, Pastor, it may be a little uncomfortable. It may be a little uncomfortable, but we believe that the sacrifice is worth it. We believe that our time and energy spent here at the church investing in God's people here at the church is worth it, even if it means that we're vulnerable. I heard a statement a long time ago that the safest place to be on planet earth is in the center of God's will. And the most unsafe place to be on planet earth is outside of God's will. So let her see we should be mindful. We should be mindful Jesus tells them to simply move on, go to the next house, speak to the next person. Again, we are actively sharing a witness for Christ. We simply sow the seed. Don't get lost in the arguments. Don't get lost in the mundane. If people deny you and say no, then move on, friends. Move on. Be mindful that you've planted the seed. Now it's the Lord who comes alongside to grow it. And lastly, I look at Roman numeral three. We have Jesus's mission. 
But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. You know, we often talk of the second coming, yet half of the world has never heard of the first. (laughs) Did you know that? Half of the world has never heard of the first coming of the king, and yet we look forward to the second coming. Friend, I know that all of us, we have personal missions that we like to accomplish, whether at work or at school, but the mission of God is so much more important than any mission that we have of ourselves. Bigger than any dream, bigger than any goal, bigger than any aspiration we might have is serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The kingdom of God is at hand, it's at near, and it's living in me and in you. Would you bow your head as we share this mission? Lord Jesus, help us to make an impact. Help us, Lord, to share Jesus. Father, we come before you today and we know that there are so many opportunities that are presented in front of us. We know that our field is large. Lord, we are thankful that we don't do it alone, that we have other people around us longing to help us. But Lord, more importantly, Jesus, you are there. So Lord, help us, encourage us that when that opportunity comes to plant a seed, to harvest, that Lord, we're ready. Lord, we know that the mission will sometimes be uncomfortable. It will be hard. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you will give us strength and that, Lord, you will remind us that, Lord, while we are in charge of maybe planting the seed, that, Lord, you're in charge of growing it. Lord, help us to find the next person and to keep your mission moving forward. And, Lord, we pray these things today in your name. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. This morning, I would encourage you to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you've been visiting our church for quite some time. I would love to get to know you. I'd love for you to to join our church. Maybe this morning you'd be like Rachel Wood and say, you know what, I've never been baptized. I've never experienced uh, the immersion. I've never experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. would love to, to share with you what that is. Do you know that this month of April that we have seven baptisms already scheduled? How phenomenal is that? Seven. That's an incredible thing. You won't be alone if you come and say, I want to be baptized. We would encourage you to do that. I got a text message from a church member just this morning when I walked into the, into the doors of the church. And he said, is it okay if I get baptized? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had another guy send me a text and says, hey, listen, a lot of churches don't baptize people on Easter. But if y'all are baptizing on Easter, can I get involved in that? And I was like, uh, yeah, you sure can. We're baptizing on Easter, dude. You got it. So maybe that's something that you'd like to pursue. You could join our church, be baptized. Maybe if you need prayer, I would love to meet you and pray with you. Would you stand? Would you sing? Tony, come and lead us in a time of invitation. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube And at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.